Welcome back, friends, fellow philosophers, and authors to this Wild Isle writing cast. I have back with me dark and evil wizard Nathaniel Cumberledge. How are you doing, Nate? Great. Good to be back. Excellent, excellent. So, for today's episode, we are going to be discussing standalones versus serials, the past, present, and future preferred presentation of fiction. Um, I think, Nate, you are the best guest I could possibly have for this particular episode, uh, because it was you who got me into pulps in the first place, and those are notoriously serialized, and I'm sure we're going to dive right into that discussion. But before we begin, I would like to send all of you to my website, wildislelit.com, where you can listen to the rest of these podcasts, the Wild Isle Writing Cast, as well as the general podcast. If you so choose, if you're feeling up to it, you can recommend topics over at wildislelit.com slash contact. Uh, I've also got a blog over there. I've got aphorisms I post every week. I have uh, my published work available. You can access it all through there. Right now, I've got one novel out, Wand Smoke broken it's a weird fantasy fiction novel reads a little bit like a western cross with a literary novel it's great check it out uh also while you're there if you happen to be an author and you have a manuscript that you need sharpened you can hire me as an editor through the wild isle style guide i specialize in stylistic considerations when it comes to the level of the line that's right line editing however if you're looking for developmental editing as well, particularly if you want to imbue your work with, let's say, symbolic and thematic meaning and significance, I also specialize in that too. So head over to the Wild Isle Style Guide at wildislelit.com. Um, I'm also all over a bunch of social media. I'm on YouTube, Wild Isle Literature. Uh, yeah, I think that's all I have to show. Nate, do you have anywhere you want to send people this time? Not at this point in time. No. All right. Well, we'll get right into the conversation then. So, Nate, uh, standalones versus serials. Now, when I started doing my notes in a rushed fashion shortly before beginning this podcast, because I'm an irresponsible host, uh, a question occurred to me right away. And it actually com comes with the ambiguity by what we mean by standalone and serial. Uh, because I don't think that those two terms actually necessarily tell us what uh, what they mean. Be, be, we'll get into it, I'm sure. So uh, for you, when I say the word standalone fiction versus uh, serialized fiction, what's the difference? All right. Serialized fiction is often uh, fed to an audience in bites over time, You usually in the form of a publication. Well, standalone fiction, although I would argue most like genre fiction today is not standalone because it tends to be in bigger books, lots of bigger books, but uh, that's that'll be later on in the discussion. But standalone stuff tends to be in a single volume and consumed in that manner. But. Yeah, it's about yeah, that, the extent of the that's difference. that's where I, I came to question it, because like you just mentioned, uh, in the modern era of fiction, particularly speculative fiction, or even if you do like, I don't know, murder mysteries, uh, if there's a series of romance novels, doesn't matter like, really where you go. There is book after book after book after book. They are generally speaking, sometimes published in a regular fashion, but not always. Um, so there's certainly a series 
But when I think of a serialized fiction, I think of something published chapter by chapter in a magazine. In the modern day, I'm thinking of something like Kindle Vela, even, where it's really bite-sized chunks being released at a regular basis. Um, and then I try to think of single standalone novels, and those seem to me to be quite rare. Uh, I don't know of any of any repute that aren't really old. Um, so let's jump right into that question. Like when we say serialized, are we going to say that, let's say, you know, five to 800 page, uh, you know, fantasy novels published in a series are serialized in the same way as, I don't know, the, the pulps publishing short stories and magazines back in the day. I would say that there is a major fundamental difference in that, uh, at least, um, well, obviously the the scale in which you are writing something, and even the, uh, it is often that at least modern fantasy novels aren't meant to be consumed on their own, so I guess in a way they are serialized, because they tend to, like, be published. At least, I don't know if this is still true, but there was a period of time in which they would require you to already have your series planned out in traditional publishing before you would get your, like, bulk fantasy series released all at once onto the market sort of thing. Uh, but I would say that at least whenever I advocate for pulps and serialized fiction, I tend to do so on the basis of being, like, highly consumable and uh, very low commitment so that you can explore strange ideas without feeling like you're committing to writing, like, a mountain of paper. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be, you know, when I thought about it, one of the fundamental differences that matter to us. And actually, I see that difference depending on the definition for serial that you go with. So I went in, uh, pumped serial into a dictionary, and then I put it into um, a dictionary of etymology. And I got two different responses, one that reflects each different way we might think of serialized fiction. So the standard definition just on, I think it was just like dictionary.com, like anything published, broadcast, etc., in short installments at regular intervals. Um, and then it has an example as a novel appearing in successive issues of a magazine, right? So in this case, like that first definition, the consumability is what makes it a serial, right? In that first definition. Uh, but the second definition fits a lot more with, you know, the series of novels that get released, right? So it's arranged or disposed in a rank or row, forming part of a series coming in regular succession. The only similarity in the second definition to the first is the regular succession bit. Uh, however, there seems to be one focus, let's say with the word series, so that we can actually talk about it, versus serial, where a series uh, is, let's say, closer to the root sequence, one thing that comes after another. But when we think of serialized work, we think of consumability, something being broken up into installments, right? We're not getting you're you're not getting a whole book if it's serialized in that way. Does that sound um, like a fair fair difference to draw there? Yes. Um, but I was uh, I, I, on the topic of serials. 
uh, at least in other mediums where serials used to be used as a term, stuff like Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers and the Republican serials and stuff like that, uh, they tended towards doing um, stories that had reoccurring characters, but were each serial itself was usually a self-contained story, one that could be easily picked up by like any person just coming into it. And uh, that's another thing that I discuss and advocate for when I make comparisons to older pulps was the idea of, like, each installment is a different adventure of a character, typically, and you'd only spread those out in chapters if it was, like, a larger and more significant adventure of that character. Yeah, I was about um, to bring that up as a difference as well, right? Because when I'm reading, yeah. let's say... Uh, I don't know, stuff by Robert E. Howard. I like to go back to him because he's one who I'm familiar with. But you can read the Conan stories really in any order. Uh, they don't, they're not ordered chronologically if you do it by publication. And it would actually be difficult to figure out exact chronology like from story to story to story. You can get some of them, but some of them you're like, I don't know when this took place. Yeah, there's no agreed timeline, actually. There's, like, several camps of people deciding how to order the stories of those specific... And uh, Robert E. Howard is a common uh, point of interest because he is one of the most popular, enduring, and prolific uh, pulp writers of that era, along with, like, Lovecraft and a few others. But uh, it's a fine example. <laughs> yeah, and I think with uh, a lot of serialized fiction... Um, I'm thinking of like the science fiction in particular. It, it did not seem that there were as many, um, you know, continuing stories with the same characters. They're what you described before, where it was like a whole different story each time. And really, the serialization was something more like the author, right? Like, so this author is publishing stories in a magazine in a serialized form as opposed to like a collection altogether. Which again removes it from that idea of sequence that it just has it where like is this presented to you in bite sized chunks or is this presented to you all at once? Yeah. As for like uh what is it? Science fiction not retaining a lot of characters, that's usually due to the stories of certain authors using usually being told as a history of a setting more often than the history of a character, although there are exceptions to that. Uh, I think Paul Anderson, the guy who wrote, uh, what's it called? Three Hearts, Three Lions, uh, which was a pretty significant, or, and uh, what was the other one? He wrote a bunch of pretty significant uh, fantasy stories that are considered very influential, but uh, he also wrote two uh, science fiction like serialized characters. Uh, Flandry is one of them, which is like a space opera James Bond sort of thing, but came out before James Bond was a thing, so it's a, more like James Bond is a more terrestrial version of him. But, uh, <laughs> and I'm trying to think of his other character. But yeah, it, it was much more common to have somebody rate a bunch of short works taking place in a broader, like, fictional network of, like, a setting. Uh, H.B. I think his name is H. Beamer. I forget his name. Anyway, that guy wrote a specific history of a human future in space. And then there was... Uh, going off on a tangent here, trying to think of different examples that, I, that are concrete that I can point people in the direction of. 
That's right. We'll, we'll have a, a section for examples, and we'll talk about them toward the end. Uh, for now, for the sake of the rest of the conversation, my curious, my curiosity is wanting to settle on where do we place like a a series of fiction? Like, so if I've got um, the apparently much loved and much loathed uh, a song of ice and fire series right is that standalone or is that serial my my actual my brain wants to put it like each even though it's a series and even though you really need to read one then the other than the other i want to categorize it with standalone fiction because i think it has more in common in terms of the way we interact with it to standalone fiction than it does with serialized fiction in the sense that all of the, uh, for lack of a better word, archetypes of serialized fiction do. Oh, yeah, I would absolutely agree, mostly because, like, if serialized is anything that takes place over a stretch of literary works is considered serial, then it's not really that useful of a definition, because a lot of, like... <laughs> uh, because the difference between, in like I was saying, in my mind, uh, between a serial and a larger series in genre fiction is uh, the consumability and ease of access. And usually, at least in my mind, how experimental it tends to be. Like I, like I was mentioning, uh, like a shorter work or a serial publication tends to be willing to be, or used to be, because there's less of these now, but used to be more willing to experiment with outsider ideas. And while a bigger publication would have a harder time justifying like publishing somebody's 800-page novel about how flamingos are shape-shifting aliens here to conquer the Earth. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we have uh, settled that we, a series is, let's say, to be encompassed in standalone serials are... To, to be the short, bite-sized, uh, let's say, presentation. And really, we are looking at presentation then. So the question that comes out of that is, why do one as opposed to the other, right? Like, so why serialize at all? Why not just, uh, let's say, publish a collection or publish even... Um, in a weird way, why not just publish individual standalone stories, right? Because serialized works almost never publish on their own. Like Kindle Vela does, kind of, but that's a modern, it's a technological advantage of not having to distribute. And even then, I think with Kindle Vela, you like buy points. So like you're, it's the same thing as subscribing to a magazine, except you get to choose what's going in your your monthly magazine, right? Or however often you uh, you purchase more fiction that way. Um, so yeah, why serialize and why standalone, do you think? I think at least the advantage of serialization, and I think an advantage today would be, uh, it would be an ability to get something out there and get something bought and read of yours when you yourself may not be able to propel your own brand alone. Uh a good example is like a lot of people who later became like major authors in the fiction space started in serialized fiction. Uh, they would publish themselves in a m magazine that was known for the kind of things they want to write or the kind of things they're interested in. 
and they would get seen alongside, you know, other big names or some such. And then they would have enough of a reputation eventually to be seen, you know, whenever they publish independent books. Uh, I think something like that would be useful again today to, like, rally a bunch of outsiders under a single banner and get some people some recognition and then they can go off and do their own thing. Uh, I know that uh, the magazine that currently runs Kirsova, I think is how you pronounce it is uh, a big advocate of trying to do that to uh, present different artists and writers to the general public who would be uh, who are uh, who think outside of the modern publishing world's box of what certain stuff is supposed to be. They want to see people like, like do weird genre mashups and stuff like that. It's a fairly yeah. good magazine. Well, great to hear that it exists. I've been thinking about this quite a lot, and I think it's absolutely necessary, especially now that we have self-publishing. I mean, the market is so incredibly flooded that anything to it's a have the chance for people to see your work, right? I think uh, a lot of you know if if you're not an author and you happen to be listening to this writing uh, cast, which is unusual. I don't think anyone but authors listen to this writing cast. But if that's you, um, it's actually the the hardest thing is getting someone to bother to look at your work. Uh, that is incredibly difficult. And I think uh, that doing a collaborative effort, like essentially a serial is, right? We're all banding together. If someone happens to like one of us, it gives all of the rest of us a chance to be seen and maybe also liked by that person. And therefore, you know, if we're decent, then our work can spread. I myself want to start a literary magazine uh, once I have enough work together for about a year's worth of publication. Um, then I'm going to gather some other authors together and we'll see if I can make that happen. But for that exact reason that you just pointed out, that if you if you don't collaborate together, and oftentimes it ends up being authors collaborating together because uh, funnily enough, as like an independent author, you care a lot more about, let's say, networking with other authors so that you can mutually gain some success and recognition because like you could you could take an adversarial attitude about it if you wanted. But I think the only folks who are going to do that, are going to be people who, let's say, perhaps bumbled into lucky success or were granted a pedestal that they don't feel that they've earned, and then they want to make sure the ladder gets pulled up after them. I've seen people do that. But for the most part, no, it's um, it's a collaborative effort where, you know, people who, I mean, hell, even if you fit the mold of the, to say tradi what what traditional markets want to see like yeah you might you might be able to uh be traditionally published that way but it's still incredibly difficult right like just to just that market has been flooded for years the indie market's flooded so yeah serialized fiction does have that great advantage of allowing people to band together do you think that there uh, is an advantage to uh having your work standalone, uh, remembering that standalone is both a single novel. It's also a collection presented at the same time. It's also a series of, let's say, single novels. 
Like if all of those things are standalones, is there an advantage to publishing that way as opposed to, you know, being in a magazine or something like that? Yeah, I mean, uh, the advantage to that is that if somebody pursues like or finds or pursues your work, then it ends up being all of your work, <laughs> which is one uh, plus side to that from a author's logistical standpoint. But uh, as for a creative um, advantage, I think it's nice to have a bunch of like, at, at least in like a collection. Like I know you did a collection recently or are doing a collection. Uh, I think having a lot of different perspectives on a single like concept or creative thing that you're developing is really useful uh, from a artistic standpoint to explore this thing you've created very thoroughly, whether it be a setting or a concept or because like a lot of collections uh, I've seen are actually just a lot of like independent stories that don't have a lot of links besides maybe a theme. Uh, I'm trying to uh, the beautiful thing that awaits us all, I think is one example of that, which is like a co a modern cosmic horror compilation that was pretty decent in which the stories didn't really have anything merging them together beyond the undercurrent that they are like cosmic horror-esque. Mm. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, Cause I didn't think about the artistic potential advantages. Like, Perhaps if you have like a single kind of setting or a particular single theme, well, a single theme is a little bit deeper, a little bit richer than merely like, well, here's a bunch of stories that are all cosmic horror, right? Uh, you could yeah. argue that a combination of setting and genre, I'll call that. Um, but the idea that you have something more being explored by concentrating the collection altogether versus spreading it out over time i think that that warrants you know uh some exploration and conversation because i did i have written a collection i have it finished i don't have money to commission covers right now <laughs> so I'm, I'm waiting until i can get some covers on those and then i will release them all for you um if you want to help me do that you can go buy my book wild out at haha <laughs> but no really uh in terms of the artistic advantage i actually did experience that with that collection that i did right so it's in the wand smoke series uh and i started the project after i think it was like a youtube video by timothy hickson also uh, known as hello future me and he talked about writing short stories in a setting that you have a main story that you're going to publish like a larger novel and you write from per the perspective of characters who you normally would not write stories from the perspective of and what it does is it fleshes out a bunch of elements of the setting that otherwise you just wouldn't think about or wouldn't be as important and then when you do that and you come back to your major work you have a lot more rich detail in your mind and in your imagination to play around with um, and so i started that's what i started doing with these stories and it just kind of grew and grew and grew until i've got a much richer, much more uh, diverse feeling. Oh, I, I, I'm willing to say this. When, when I finally get to release the Tales from the Labyrinth, the Wand Smoke universe will, if it feels anything, it won't feel generic. Uh, I'll tell you that because it, it, I had this chance of going to different places in the world and 
it feels really alien and really exotic once you've had that opportunity. And so, yeah, as a collection, because I was focused on exploring this world all at once, uh, I think having it with a plan of releasing it all together really, really helped me in that way. Because I think if I had spread it out further, um, I don't know that I would have consciously chose the places that I did in the way that I did. And the reason why I think that is because um, the other set of short stories that I'm working on that I want to release in the literary magazine, they follow a single character as opposed to a multitude of characters. And they the places that I'm writing in depend on that particular character's narrative arc. And it's a lot harder to justify him being in different places in the same way that if I just decided, well, here's a character, anything could happen to this character. Like that, you know, it it doesn't have to uh, be this long continuous narrative that's going to take place over time, 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 release, 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 release. Yeah, it does change your artistic uh, vision. Um, how, have you? had any particular experiences, Nate, uh, either focusing on um, serialized writing or standalone writing that made that artistic difference for yourself? Um, as I am largely unpublished, most of, uh, <laughs> I don't consider most of those experiences to be of significance, but I do tend towards, uh, whenever I develop like a new idea for a setting or something that I want to explore, I tend to go in the direction of, like, cooking up a bunch of short works first of differing characters and deciding what character in this kind of world I'd be most interested in trying to explore. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, it's very freeing to not feel committed to, like, writing a massive tome about every single character you'd like to delve really in-depth with. And uh, it gives you a lot of freedom to expand your universe. I think, um, like, there's a reason that stuff like uh, these expanded universes of these big popular properties were so popular for so long is that uh, a lot of people will like different things about something you create. So it gives people an opportunity to see more or a weirder side of that thing that they like about the thing, as opposed to what you feel is safe for the mainline releases. Like, uh, of course, the, the big popular example of an expanded universe is like Star Wars stuff. So like Star Wars stuff will always be mainly about like the big tentpole, like Jedi shenanigans, but what if somebody really likes the space fighter pilot aspect or like uh, the criminal underworld stuff? And there's all and there's always going to be or used to be always stuff that you could access that had those themes. Uh, of course, that 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 particular universe has kind of fallen off as of the last decade, but <laughs> whatever. But it was the best example I could think of on hand. Yeah. Well, talking about past things and present things um in the past up to the present and then we have like the recent past trends uh what really was popular right like if you know if i think of really old books they're they're singular books like you don't see series of books that are a couple hundred years old you see the book um but as i 
get closer to the modern era, particularly once you hit like the 20th century or even just before that, maybe even the 19th century, the idea that a thing was released in serial, at least uh, to my knowledge, that seems to become more and more common. And in fact, it seems like a lot of novels were in fact released in that serialized format. Uh, what's what's your knowledge on that, Nate, in terms of like the past and uh, whether things I, were standalone or serial? The distant past, uh, by the night, like the late nineteenth century, is when you started seeing like serialization becoming almost the mainstream way to write a book if you were not like yourself independently well known. So, um, I'm trying to remember specific examples. Off the top of my head, I know the Scarlet Pimpernel, I think is how you pronounce that. Uh, it's named after a flower. was uh, a very popular serial piece of serialized fiction written by a uh, British, I think she was a British woman, about a uh, gentleman adventure during the French Revolution. Um, but that is one of the most notable examples that I can think of that for our general circle. Of yeah, I know a great, great expectations, which I think we had to read in high school. Um, that one was, I know, released is Charles Dickens, right? Yeah, it was released in a serialized format originally, as well. Um, I'm trying to think if there's others. I, I think there are. I have books on my shelf that are old that I'm, I'm pretty sure were in fact released bit by bit by bit. They weren't released all at once. Um, trying to, but the, yeah, go ahead. I apologize. You may continue. My thought was not fully formed. All right. Uh, but one thing I noticed, and I had this question earlier, but it didn't have its proper place, is that just because a work is serialized, it does not necessarily affect the, uh, let's say, the pacing or structure of each chapter that much, right? So if you take something like Great Expectations, you can present it in a whole book. And if someone doesn't tell you that this was released in a serialized fashion, you would not know. Um, I don't know, you might know this, Nate, was the, or were, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, was that originally released in a serialized fashion? Because it looks like it should be, but I don't know, I've never heard that it was. I I get where you would get that impression, but I'm not 100% certain that, that is the case without looking it up. Mm. And uh, I know that with the Conan stories, that definitely was, but some of those stories are so long, I'm pretty sure that they were released not all at once in the magazine, because if they were, like the magazine would be thick. Like that would be a, a really beefy lit mag. Uh, am I right wow. on that? Wow. Assumption. While some of the magazines were thick, most of the longer stories were released in like uh, three or four parts. So, like, I think uh, Queen of the Black Coast was released in three parts, I believe, over the course of like a few months. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, because even the stories are are broken into like separate sections and sometimes they're short enough that it's like, okay, well this might just be for the sake of, you know, like you have a scene break essentially, but sometimes it's like, these look like chapters that would be released over the, over the course of, of a work. Um, so yeah, I guess what I'm saying there that is that it may not be the case that 
the serialization process and the way that we're discussing it affects um, the, let's say, the way that you actually write your story. It might very well be possible to take just about any story and break it up in the way that we're talking about and then present it. You just have to find the key moments. Does that sound right to you? Or is that, because that sounds like an easy way out to serialization, but, but it seems to be the case historically. As a general thing, I think that is fine. I think there's some stories that just lack very good natural breakpoints because of how they are delivered. Um, I'm trying to think of some good examples. Uh, there are very, like, some stream of consciousness type novels might have a harder time of this because of the way they feel like just one long kind of narr narrative ramble, I guess, where there's not necessarily natural breakpoints. And that's not always like a criticism. Some, t some of those stories of that nature are good, but. I think it would be hard to serialize them in a way that feels natural. But, like, most stories, I would argue, especially with, like, how we already divvy up our own works into chapters, typically, um, it's just, like, you take a few chapters, you make that an entry in a magazine. That's, that's an, ex I would imagine that's an acceptable way to deliver a book, because, like, historically it's been done, so... Yeah, and that kind of begs the question for the future, right? So we are seeing the rise of things I mentioned a few times now, like Kindle Vela, where people can consume fiction in short form. Beyond fiction, we're seeing that um, like TikTok, uh, Instagram Reels, YouTube Shorts, short-term video fiction is extremely popular. Um, or at the very least, maybe it's just being marketed that way. But I think the reason why it's marketed is it must be People must be responding to it, right? Otherwise, I don't th think the uh, the titans that be would essentially say, do this or else suffer an algorithmic death. Uh, and that being the case, should, should we be, as authors, should we be thinking, not in terms of changing the way we write our stories necessarily uh, to be serialized, but just to serialize our work more and more and more to make the work more digestible to an audience that seems to be ever shrinking. I think that realistically speaking, we've got to contend with the reality that uh, attention spans are being shredded by modern trends and technology. It's like we can complain about it, but there's not an easy solution to it. So either you adapt to that situation or you don't succeed. So I don't have an answer to that necessarily, but I, this is one of the many reasons why I do advocate for shorter form fiction, serialized fiction, and etc. So uh, I think just as like a sign of the times, like you were saying, with like the popularity of shorter form content, it may be a direction worth going in. And I'm, and that doesn't work for all fiction. Some people are still going to write the 800-page doorstoppers, and some of those will still be good. Um, like, I couldn't imagine, like, Lord of the Rings ever being published as a serial piece. It is a very cohesive whole, and I think that it should be like that, but most things don't need to be that. And that's my stance on 
I think as authors, it would be worthwhile to consider whether or not our stuff should be massive tomes that are difficult to digest for the general population. I think that as there is a desire for alt media uh, from people who are disappointed with mainstream fiction and media for whatever reason, be they cultural, political, or just people don't make the things you like anymore, and then you come into this space and you're looking for something to replace that, I think for most people, just like short works and stuff are going to be the way to go. Yeah, so what we're saying here is that there is the occasion at which trying to cut a work down into two digestible bits just won't work, let's say in the case of something like an epic, right? Like Lord of the Rings, maybe. Um, not that not that it's the length, but it would be the type of story being told where one needs to remember lots of details. Like the, let's say the time component becomes an issue, right? Like if you consume it too slowly, one will have a hard time holding together all the different elements of the story that have to go together. But if that doesn't happen to be the case, then consider not necessarily writing your story differently, but it, you're going to have to compete with visual uh, and audio media. And so it it just might be how the market goes. I talked to uh, Timo, I was pronouncing his name wrong when I talked to him. I only learned on a di when I listened to him talk on a different, uh, let's say, online show um, over with Matt Waterhouse over at the uh, the Alchemy Lab. So you can search up Matt Waterhouse on YouTube. You can find him there talking to Timo. But I talked to him about uh, men as an underserved audience. And this very topic came up where, you know, they, there does seem to be um, what may or may not be an untapped, uh, particularly young male audience. And it very well may be the case that if one wants to write for that audience, like if you're like the young man or perhaps not so young anymore, but you're a 30s, 40s guy and you're writing and your audience is going to be, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s guys, uh, if you want them to pick up your work, it, it very well may be, may be necessary to give it to them in a way that you use the word digestible, and I like the word digestible because it fits in what we just talked about with like Lord of the Rings being not digestible in cereal. You have to, you have to, you know, swallow it in a bigger gulps. But I would say less intimidating and have less inertia to get into, right? Because if it's like a door, like a door stopper, like this giant brick, and you hand that to a young guy, and then he looks at his, you know, Steam account, like, what do you think he's gonna pick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like i'm thinking about the things that are popular with like young people today tend to be things like uh people like manga a lot and like it's a written format although it has visuals as well but it tends to be like unintimidating and digestible most of the time you can just read individual volumes and such and that's very popular uh and like Whenever I'm thinking about writing and what's going to be popular and or good writing, 
I have to, I, of course, like you were saying, you are competing with every other medium. You are not just competing with other writers. You are competing with everything for someone's attention. Yeah, that's always really important to remember um, because it's easy to think, oh, well, I, you know, oh, I can, I can write a decent novel. I've read, I've, I've seen things that sell in the bookstore and they're garbage, which, you know, if, if you're an amateur author, I think we've all had that experience of like being baffled at what people are like picking up, whether it be at a bookstore or like a library or whatever. You just pick up your random lowbrow novel and the writing is atrocious and it's like the most generic thing you've ever seen and some old lady like or some line of old ladies are coming and buying them. Um but you see that and you think, okay, I can outdo that. But the problem isn't like outdoing that. The problem is outdo that and the entire video games industry and film and the history of both of those industries going back and just doom scrolling through social media, which I think is perhaps the uh, the biggest competition for, for reading. Because like even if someone's reading your book, uh, like go and watch young people who try to read and see how often they take out their phone like mid reading right they don't they don't have the impulse control and the attention span to just sit and read for a long time you have to like lock them in a log cabin or something somewhere for like a couple of weeks to break them out of their uh dopamine addiction yeah um, all right uh especially in our circles where uh a lot of us who are into alternative media tend to be fairly politically engaged, so the desire to see what's going on at all times in the news and on social media is very powerful. <laughs> yeah, and and also uh, another thing to think about in terms of whether or not to serialize or not to serialize is the social isolation. This sounds like a weird tangent but it isn't right particularly i'm thinking of my own circumstances but i think nate probably your your situation is similar people don't typically make friends in person as much as they used to particularly as you get into your adult life like already that's difficult to do because you're working all the time um but even now where people are working remotely and working from home your friends, the people you know, your community, if you will, is actually largely a set of people you know and interact with regularly online. And that's, you know, as that becomes more and more true, as tragic as that might be, uh, it makes it more and more difficult for anyone to be away from the screen for any length of time. Or if they're on the screen, to be on one, you know, uh, window, right? Like maybe I've got my, uh, let's say, Amazon Kindle app open in my browser so I'm, I'm reading through a book and unless i sit and like deactivate my discord notifications at any moment something could come up and i'm actually really pulled to check out what's going on because this might be someone communicating with particularly with me and i don't get many social communications and so it's like oh yeah i, I definitely should check this to see what the hell is going on um and that's leaving aside all the other distractions that come day after day after day so yeah can you know listeners out there consider consider serialized uh fiction as a way to publish if not necessarily as a way to to write uh we don't have much time but i do actually want to talk about 
considerations if you are in fact planning on serialization and how that affects writing and how that might be good or bad for the future. Like let's say that fiction's near future is going to be in serialization. Is this what benefits might this have with written works? Um, and what deficits might we suffer at the same time? I think a major deficit of serialized fiction is that it's more difficult to uh, work on something that is a slow burn because uh, due to the nature of the release schedule and such, uh, you will write, you might have like two or three releases that are just a lot of build up and intrigue. And uh, some people might like jump off before anything actually happens. Um, that's a very serious concern that I've thought about with shorter works over, well, works over longer periods of time would probably be a better way to word that particular one. But uh, that another possible detriment is. Uh, I'll actually have to think about this one before I say it. I don't, I, I, I don't know if it's actually a problem. <laughs> Go ahead. No, but, but yeah, the, I, I, definitely, I definitely see the problem with slow burning stuff. I think of anything that's any, any what literary or literary, you got to pronounce that. Um, and yeah, like the, there could be huge chunks where you just have to slow down and consume what you're reading. Like I'm reading through, it's taking forever because I'm trying to read all these indie books at the same time. I'm reading through uh, Masashi. And you would think this is a book about a samurai. It's full of action. It's like, no, it's not. This is like a like samurai era drama where most of the like fight scenes don't even take place in the chapters. Like you kind of hear about them after the fact. And when they do take place, it's like two sentences. <laughs> and then like really it's about the psychology of the characters uh, afterward and the dramatic relationships they have with the other characters but yeah something like that trying to be broken if you tried to break that down into serialized fiction there are times when you just have a very long slow chapter that would have to be broken up into multiple publications and you would just you would lose readers they would not be interested at all it'd be like when i was a kid I don't know if anyone online is going to get this, but um, there was an anime that I never, I need to see, watch it through as an adult. Uh, but I think it was like Android Kikaider. And I didn't get it because I would only catch random episodes, but it was like, it, I, my impression of this anime might be entirely wrong because I never got to go see it through. But I had the impression it was very slow paced and it was about like this Android reflecting on not being human and what it means to be human. And so if you catch it in the midst of the series, like you're just, you, you, it's just no good. Right. Like, and, and seeing it from like, you know, the episodes separated too far, you lose all of the narrative tension that you had. I had the same experience actually with dot hack sign, uh, where if you, you know, if you watch it all the way through at once, okay, it kind of carries itself. But man, like if you if you take too long, it just you you lose your grip, your interest because it moves so slowly. Uh, I know those aren't exactly literary examples, but they are, they're what came to mind. What about advantages, right? So we have a disadvantage that stories might get and they might have to get a little bit shallower and faster paced because you don't have the 
time it might take to build up a slow burning kind of uh, really complex character drama. Um, but what advantages might we, might we see from an increase in serialization in the future? I can think of two examples that we probably haven't covered yet. Um, one example is that it might force an adjustment of pace, which I think can sometimes be useful. If you have like something pretty exciting, if your mind is on having something fairly exciting happening every segment you plan on serializing, I think it'll make your stuff in general uh, have a pretty good like pace. So anyway, it might actually help some people's pacing to be forced to think of something exciting happening in every serialized segment. Uh, because a lot of our the fiction we tend to write tends to shine whenever that's happening anyway, such as fantasy, science fiction, etc. I'm trying to think of the second thing that I was uh, going to say was an advantage. <laughs> I'll, I'll chat about the the pacing issue. Yeah, actually, I think what it would really help is for uh, particularly new authors to understand what makes action tense and meaningful. Because if if you have to do it in a serialized fashion right away, you can't drag out an action scene with constant action across way too many pages. I've seen that be a typical error. I've made that error in the past myself as a new author. And if you have to serialize it, automatically your brain goes, okay, a reader has to know what the stakes are. And so right away, because they don't know, right? Like you can't just assume that they've read the last bit. And if you can't assume that, then you have to reestablish the stakes. And that encourages you to establish and then change the stakes, which allows one to modulate, uh, let's say, a, a buildup and then expending that built attention through action repeatedly across the serialization, as opposed to making that error of just like action, action, action. Yes, I can just spend the attention ad nauseum when you can't really because a, a reader's, you know, if an action scene goes on for too many, too many words, too many pages, uh, you just start to your eyes glass over because it doesn't feel like there is anything at stake because nothing significant is happening um, other than just, you know, like fireworks. Right. So did that give you any hit, Nate, what your what your second benefit for serialized fiction in the future might be? Yes, partially. Uh, I think uh, it had something to do with the idea that something spread over a longer amount of time in longer amount of releases, especially in a joint publication, you would have more opportunities for someone to just casually notice the initial bit of your thing and decide to go back and start from the beginning and read the rest of your thing. And I think that would also be beneficial, but that's that ties into the benefit of like a shared, like collaborative experience in general. Yeah, but actually, as you say that, it has... I think we need to really think about compared to what with that, because it has a better benefit than we think, right? Because what's the alternative? And I actually don't think for a lot of people, the alternative is writing a single book. I think the alternative uh, is going to be writing a series of books, right? Because if we remember that, like, if you're going to write three or four or five or six novels, that are like, let's say, a single speculative fiction series. And a lot of people do that, right? It's rare that someone says, okay, I'm going to write this one book and that's just going to be it. 
maybe that's market pressure doing that. Maybe that's culture, whatever reason. That just doesn't seem to happen nearly as often anymore, particularly in speculative fiction. So with that being the case, yeah, you actually have a way higher chance, way higher chance of someone giving your work a try compared to a stack of books, right? Because before we were comparing it to one doorstopper, but actually what if it's compared to like five doorstoppers? Like, are you going to like, because you can see how much more intimidating that is. And that is how intimidating. If you know there's a series and it has like 10 books, like what's the chance that you're even going to bother? Like, are you going to say, okay, if I start this and I like it, then I'm going to have to be invested in 10 books. Do I really, you know, maybe if you're an avid reader, that sounds great, right? In the same way that if you're an avid gym bro, like going to the to the gym and like, uh, I don't know, deadlifting a ton sounds great. You want to do it. But to a normal, you know, to most people, it's like, no, uh, I do that because I have to, not because I want to. Uh, and I think the same thing is true when you, you know, you have this massive series in front of someone. But, you know, if it's just a, a story, yeah, like I'd give that a try. If I end up liking it, then I can, I can go in and start. And psycho, even if psychologically it doesn't reflect reality, like let's say you've got 10 books worth of serialized material out there. Um, if they read one little bit and they do like it, they're already hooked, right? Whereas with the the whole books, they're just so less likely to even give you the chance because of the the presentation, like how how much of an investment it looks to be. So that's actually a huge advantage, and I think I think that would really get a lot more people to be reading in the future. At least I hope so. That that's what I would like to see. Yeah, um, whenever you were going on about the idea of it's not one, but some many doorstoppers, I was instantly reminded of the fact that I will never read Wheel of Time. There's just too much. Yeah, uh, same exact, literally with Wheel of Time, same exact thing. Uh, I, I've thought like I should read this, but I, I look at it and I think, no, or the same thing with like um, some authors even, it's not even the series, but like, I should probably read some Brandon Sanderson works because he's very popular in fantasy. But I, I look and I think he's just got so much stuff. Like I don't even, I don't want to start getting into that. Like I still feel bad for starting and, and only getting two books into like the Jim Butcher series, which I don't like, but I feel like I should read more of because I'm, I feel critical about it and I don't feel like I'm a legitimate critic unless I read more. And then it's like, but I don't want to read more. Right. It's like, ah, and you get this <laughs> resistance. Um, and I think overcoming that resistance through a, a smaller presentation is definitely going to be the way of the future. Um, so, or maybe I'm just saying that because I, I write now in a very episodic form uh, where even if I present a large book, I do it in smaller chunks. And so breaking things into smaller chunks seems just fine and dandy to me, but who knows? I feel like uh, it's just a react. I think it's like a subconscious reaction to the general undercurrent of a lot of discussion right now. Like I, this is not a like the idea of like seri bringing back pulp and serialization and stuff is not unique to me. It's not an idea that I sprung up myself, but one I've gathered through a bunch of other people's like analysis. So. Uh, so I just advocate for it because I think just based on having gone back and read a lot of that stuff that it would be beneficial to both 
authors and readers today. Not just because, like, I would like to write that way. I'd like to see other people write that way, and I want to read their stuff. Yeah, and I think you listeners would like to read it too. All right, Nate, we are short on time today, but thank you so much for joining me on this conversation. Standalones versus serials. It turns out the serials are the future, so get reading those, the ones that are already out and ancient and excellent, by the way. Uh, you'll be very impressed with some some of the level of prose it's definitely more experimental i'll say that um there's some wonkiness in there with old books and old oh, i shouldn't say old book old stories that are released in those magazines but also there's like these there are really great passages and paragraphs that are put together that would never pass by a modern editor who thinks that you the reader are too stupid to uh to appreciate all right um before you guys go Go back over to my website, wild.lit.com. Check out all the stuff that I mentioned before. I won't show it all there. Recommend topics. Uh, I'm running I'm running kind of short on what I have to talk about, so I definitely need some more writing-based topics. So I'd love to hear what you guys want to talk about. And if you want to appear on this podcast through the contact form, uh, you can, uh, let's say, petition to participate, and I will read your petition and consider if I trust you to bring you onto the podcast. All right. Uh, again, at wildislit.com. And uh, Nate, you sure you don't have anywhere you want to send anybody? Not at this point in time. Uh, one day, one day, Nate, you'll have a massive platform upon which to look down on all the knaves. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.